But as I mentioned, right to now, we know that in Manitoba, because of a spike in COVID-19 numbers, they are moving to what is called a level red uh response to the virus. Today we're announcing that the entire province of Manitoba is moving to critical or red on the pandemic response system and additional restrictions will be added to the critical level. This short, sharp set of restrictions to stop the spread of COVID-19 in Manitoba and to bring the entire province under the same restrictions. That was Dr. Brent Rusin in Manitoba talking about that. We are joined now by Marnie Blunt, a Global Winnipeg reporter. Marnie, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, It sounds very drastic. I know this is, again, for a short period of time to try and get those numbers back down. What does that mean, though, for people living in Manitoba that the province is going to a level red? Yeah, it's a pretty major move today. Um, Winnipeg and the Southern Health Region were already under level red. Now the entire province is, and there's even um, stricter rules. The big thing is it means there's no social gatherings. Uh, Before the limit was five-person gatherings. Now it's social gatherings aren't allowed, and you can have household contacts only. Um, The other big thing is for businesses, uh, there's a list, and businesses that are listed as critical services like grocery stores, supply chains, gas stations, and pharmacies, those can remain open operating at 25%. Uh, But for other retail businesses that are non-critical, they have to close their doors and can operate um, online or do delivery or curbside pickup as well. Um, That also includes gyms and fitness centers closing, personal services, and uh, restaurants closing as well with uh, take-on delivery services only. Uh, You might have mentioned this. What about church services? Uh, religious services, actually a big change for them um, in this round of restrictions. They now have to close and can only operate virtually. We were seeing them having uh, different caps for their capacity, but now they have to close and uh, move to virtual operations only. Uh, Did this come as a surprise? Like you said, Winnipeg, some areas were already at this level, but did it come as a surprise at all to people that that drastic step was being taken? You know, I don't think at this point it was a surprise. Um, like you mentioned, our numbers are just really spiking. We're seeing record numbers of people hospitalized in ICU, um, new deaths every day, um, and our test positivity rate is extremely high as well. It's over 10%, and we're seeing lots of community transmission. So this is just another step to uh, try to get those numbers down. Um, right now they're saying it's going to be in place for the about four weeks, likely four weeks, uh, Dr. Rusin said, but they're going to be assessing that throughout uh, to see see if it's needed for that period of time or more or less. And what are the penalties? Or do you know, are are people, are they stepping up inspections and making sure that people are adhering to these rules? Yes, actually, last week, the Premier announced that they would be uh, taking tougher enforcement action. Um, He did mention a few examples of enforcement during their press conference today. They are uh, giving more tickets for individuals and businesses. Uh, they announced more funding for um, different municipalities to be able to monitor uh, people who aren't following the rules. So they are trying to take uh, tougher enforcement, which is something they've been promising for a while, but we were seeing lots of hundreds of people calling, reporting uh, people not following COVID-19 regulations and only a handful of tickets uh, being handed out. So they've now pledged to uh, be tougher with that because they've been giving the warnings for a long time, and now they have to turn to enforcement. 
Uh, I know schools and daycares have also been a topic of concern in Manitoba. They certainly have been here in BC as well. Uh, from what I understand, though, so schools and daycares, though, will remain open? Yeah, so there's no change with that. They already have some of the older students uh, learning remotely. Um, but there's no change with that because uh, Dr. Rusin says that there's little evidence of transmission within the schools. There are cases within the schools, but they're mostly... Um, students and staff getting COVID-19 out in the community and bringing it into the school. So he says the way schools have been operating, um, it has been, or the way they've been running with their COVID-19 protocols has been working so far. And he just says, again, just spoke about the importance of kind of keeping the schools open and keeping that sense of normalcy for the children. And he also said that these restrictions are partially so we can keep our schools open and, uh, loosen the strain on our healthcare system as well. And what about traveling throughout the province? Is that is that part of the order or is it being discouraged? Um, so he did mention it today, non-essential travel is being strongly discouraged. Part of it is the order um, to travel to and from northern Manitoba um, is restricted and we've been seeing more cases actually increasing drastically there as well. I believe there was 41 new cases out of northern Manitoba today, and there's much more uh, vulnerable communities up there. Um, the healthcare systems are a little bit more spread out, so we definitely want to have uh, the Manitoba's top doctor definitely wants to take precautions there, which is why uh, we're restricting travel to and from northern Manitoba, and then strongly um, advising against non-essential travel within the province. And just wanted to ask you as well, in that we've seen the majority of cases, and this has been pretty consistent across Canada, that a lot of the deaths have been in long-term care facilities. We've seen outbreaks in long-term care facilities. Is that also what is happening and what you're seeing in Manitoba? Yes, we've had uh, some pretty... uh, bad situations in our long-term care uh, facilities here, particularly some long-term care homes here in Winnipeg, Winnipeg, Parkview Place, uh, Maples. They've had uh, Maples Personal Care Home has definitely had, I believe, over uh, well over 20 deaths there now. Um, And it just really is a dire situation. So yes, we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of the deaths related to outbreaks within personal care homes and some outbreaks within uh, retirement residences and hospitals as well. All right. And again, so this is, uh, you're hearing from officials, four weeks is what residents are bracing for. But again, that possibility, if the numbers don't start looking like what they want, that could be extended. Absolutely. It could be. um, I mean, when they put us under orange restrictions, I think over a month ago now, they said it would be in place for two weeks. At that point, they'd assess. um, They extended them and then went into red restrictions and further red restrictions and further red restrictions. So it all depends on what our numbers do and what the strain on the hospital system really is because that's what uh, that's what this is really all about is trying to help our most vulnerable and keep, uh, keep the strain off our uh, hospital systems. All right. Uh, Marnie, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us uh, to bring us up to date on what's happening there. Thank you. Well, as we continue figuring out exactly what the latest restrictions for Fraser Health and Vancouver Coastal Health mean for us for this two-week period, there are still uh, some other questions about what was announced on Saturday, and one of those announcements being about travel. It's not a health order, but people have been asked to please not travel in and out of those health authorities unless it is deemed essential. 
the recommendation being only travel uh, to places where there are high numbers of COVID, where you could potentially take it elsewhere, only do travel if it is essential. And of course, maintain your distance, wash your hands, put all of the other safety protocols in place. Now, even though we can understand why this is one of the rules, for those in the travel industry, this came as a bit of a surprise. Uh, Paul Nursey joins me on the line now, the CEO of Destination Greater Victoria. Paul, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me. Uh, So what was your response when you heard the restrictions which were announced on Saturday and the strong recommendations when it comes to travel? Well, I mean, there is no response. I mean, the the only responsible thing to do is to support and, you know, uh, you know, we, as, a, as an example, stopped all marketing communications into the Vancouver and Metro Vancouver area because that is our one and essentially only remaining source market. Um, and, but we had to do what was right. Uh, what does that mean for your industry? Well, revenues in Greater Victoria uh, in the accommodation sector are already down by 70% this year. Um, and that's for accommodation. And for all other sectors, such as whale watching, tour operators, and other things, it's greater than 90% um, that the damage has been done uh, so far. But in spite of all that, we, we had been doing reasonably well with you know very safe and well-adapted, primarily weekend getaways from Greater Vancouver. And um, our industry has in- invested so much money, even though they're down um, on the mat, and so much in training. And it, it, w- it was a real uh, damaging blow. And we, we understand why, um, but there's no sugarcoating that it is devastating. Is it, uh, is it at all reassuring or that unless things don't go the way health authorities want and we don't see a change in the numbers, we are being told that it is just for that two-week period. Does that at least offer some hope that after two weeks we can start up again? Yeah, and, and we don't know at this point in time. Uh, there's been so much uncertainty for all of us in society, not just our sector. Um, but I think there's a, a high degree of frustration simply because our industry is not one that you can just turn on and turn off. Like every industry, it has inputs, input costs, um, you know, inventory, it has labor, all those different things. I don't need to go into great detail. But this idea that it can flick on and off like a switch is, is not responsible. So we are heading into Christmas and... Um, and we understand why, you know, cases are spiking in these health regions. And we certainly have had low cases here in, in on Vancouver Island, and we're grateful for that. Um, but I think what we are really asking for is consultation. And I am aware that there was zero consultation um, with the Tourism Industry Association of BC, as an example, uh, prior to these health orders, or not orders, recommendations uh, coming in. Uh, one of the, the quotes from Dr. Henry was the virus was being spread when people were traveling around the province. We know that this virus moves with people and it uh, we have the ability to stop that transmission. What does that say then about, because I know a lot of hotels and, and, and operators and people who depend, again, on tourism, uh, they have taken those measures, whether it's plexiglass yeah. and increased cleaning and making sure that uh, even re- reduced capacity to make sure it is safe. So does that tell you that even when traveling starts up again, more needs to be done or something different needs to be done? Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot in that statement. And, and, and of course, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a valid concern. And certainly early on in this, we know that this was the case. Um, you know, the dental convention in Vancouver was a proven, uh, you know, a spreader event. And, um, you know, before we understood what was going on, but, but families or bubbles traveling in their car, um, we're not aware of any um, 
uh, outbreaks here in Greater Victoria hotels or attractions, and they've worked so, so hard. So we're, we're hoping that a balance can be struck. Um, and we understand, you know, mass tourism and international tourism and conventions and all that is, is banned until phase four of the restart plan, and we understand that. But we hope that there could be a middle ground found where that, you know, families who are already in each other's bubble or the safe six can travel in their own private vehicles and still enjoy a weekend getaway, as an example. And are you confident at all that that will be where we get to perhaps after the two weeks? And we don't we don't know at this point in time, and that's what's so frustrating for our industry is the uncertainty, um, because you know um, uh, you know we you know we have quite a few cancellations happening now, and um, uh, businesses are continuing to invest a, a year after you know months and months after um, having a precipitous decline in revenue, and, and and honestly no real coherent plan around reopening. It must be frustrating too, in that when we've talked about the border being closed, and not only are there not travel from the United States. There really aren't international travelers. So that was the one sector. It was travel within BC. It wasn't that long ago we were being told if, if you want to travel, if you want to get away for the weekend or for a week, that's your really your only option. That's, that's, that's correct. And, um, you know, in, in, a, in a bigger city like Greater Victoria and certainly Vancouver, you need multiple different source markets and segments to be successful, such as conventions, concerts, sports, um, and in various geographic source markets. So in our business plan, in a traditional year, we would have 14 different segments, and 13 of them were structurally closed to us in March. And the one remaining was the domestic traveler, as you mentioned. And now that, because Greater uh, Metro Vancouver is Greater Victoria's largest source market, as is Seattle, which is closed. So now that's gone as well. So I, I did do an interview with another radio um, uh, show last night, and I was kind of asking some provocative questions, such as, you know, if there isn't going to be a plan around uh, re-emerging or we're not seeing some of the innovations like we are in Alberta, such around the airport testing there, um, you know, it's very it's it's very frustrating for our industry to just have it have recommendations or orders to have it open and close without, on the other hand, having a deliberate consultative strategy about how we're actually going to get through this. Uh, adding to that, do you think that the the rules being enforced on the ferries are going to have an impact as well with now on some routes, RCMP officers will be knocking on windows to make sure people in those closed decks don't stay in their vehicles? I mean, I've even anecdotally heard from people saying, I don't want to go on the ferry now because the one thing I could do, I could stay in my car and know I was safe. I'm not doing it if, if I don't have that option. I was on the ferries this weekend, and I, and I found that it it was a, a good experience. And, um, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be on the upper deck and was able to stay in my car. But by and large, I think most people have adapted to the ferry situation. And I do find through this that most customers are adaptable. Um, but, you know, being on Vancouver Island, transportation, ferries, air service has always been a barrier that we've had to overcome. Um, fortunately, the experience of being here is so bucolic that most travelers will do it anyways. Uh, and what about the issue of financial help, whether it's provincial yeah. or federal, for the tourism industry? Sure, and that's a really broad question, but uh, the thumbnail is there's been some measures that have been very helpful, most most notably the the wage subsidy, the federal wage subsidy program. Is, our industry wouldn't have made it without it. And um, and so there's some certainty until next June, some degree of certainty, and that's very helpful. Um, the provincial measures were announced just before the elections, and those have not rolled out yet. Um, there's there's an application process underway, but quite frankly, a thirty or $40,000 grant on a, for a business that usually would 
do millions of dollars in revenues is 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 only going to be you know t- token help, um, and there's nothing for uh, companies above 149 employees. Uh, so there's a lot of work um, underway, and there is a, a task force, a recovery task force that was appointed by the government. Um, but you know when 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 the damage is in the, t- the the billions and billions of dollars, you know um, it, it is. There's a lot of families and a lot of businesses that are, that are suffering. Do you think there's going to be a way out of this other than waiting for the vaccine or, like you mentioned, rapid testing to come into play? Well, I think that's a critical piece, right? So, and, and we will come out of it. Um, our industry is incredibly resilient. And, um, you know, I, I think we're going to come out of it stronger. It's just going to be a very painful process. You know, there was a wonderful announcement yesterday. Um, and we expect more announcements in the weeks ahead from other vaccine candidates. Um, you know, the, 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 the opportunity now is, is to bridge effectively that six to nine months towards reopening. And, you know, what, what folks don't always remember, but it's, it's my business and my colleagues' business, this is a competitive sector like everyone else. And other jurisdictions will be working on deliberate reopening plans. And that's the opportunity to gain or lose market share. So I hope we're on our toes. I hope we're able to work collaboratively and be innovative as opposed to just wantonly, um, you know, adding new orders or, or, or other things that can affect, affect so many thousands of livelihoods. Well, as you know, for this two-week period, there are some increased restrictions in the Fraser Health region and the Vancouver Coastal Health region. People being asked to dial back their social interactions to break that spread of COVID-19. Yesterday, the numbers released from the B.C. government, 998 new COVID-19 cases over a two-day period. That puts a total of 18,714 cases to date. 133 people currently in hospital, 43 in critical care or the ICU. Well, joining me on the line now is our provincial health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry. Thank you so much for your time today. Good afternoon. Uh, Given the number of cases that we're seeing now, this spike in cases, uh, we have these new restrictions uh, that were announced on Saturday. Uh, We're seeing much stricter rules coming in in places like Manitoba. Uh, We're expecting that in Toronto. How confident are you today that this softer approach is still working in B.C.? Well, we have always um, looked at where we're seeing transmission happen and look at the measures that we can take to stop those events. So these are relatively strict compared to where we have been. We have um, baseline uh, public health orders in effect, and now we really need to step back on the places where we're seeing people passing this on, not knowingly in most cases, to their family and friends. And those are those social interactions, whether it's birthday parties or weddings or um, baby naming parties. There's been a whole variety of people are, are keeping them relatively small in that it may be 20 or 30 or 40 people, but then it's a different group of 20 and 30 or 40 people each night. And what we have seen now is it gets spillover into workplaces, into our long-term care homes, and that's what we need to stop. Are you confident people will follow these rules enough, though, and adhere to these restrictions for this two-week period to make that difference? I, I believe that people here in BC, we, we have shown that we know what to do. And when we're asked to do it and we understand that the risk is there, and we've been very clear about the risk right now is the most that we've had um, since this pandemic has started. We have a little bit more certainty, perhaps, than what we had in, in March when we didn't know the way things are going. But we know that these measures work. 
And we now need everybody to be 100% all in, as we used to say quite regularly. Um, This is our time to make a difference. Uh, You talked a bit on Saturday about the years that you spent preparing for a pandemic. That was your job, a big part of the job that you did, knowing that this could happen. Now that we are in this point in the pandemic and seeing the numbers rise again, is this pandemic playing out? Is it unfolding the way you anticipated? Well, I I think everyone is a little bit different, no matter what you think might happen. This is certainly going on a long time, and I know that's discouraging for all of us. It's discouraging mentally and emotionally, but there is light at the end of this tunnel. We know that we can take measures. We know that they work. It's sometimes very challenging right now, and we've been doing this for quite a long time, and we're going into winter. Um, Now's when we need to remember that we can get through this together. And we will look back on this and realize that, uh, you know, we can um, we can build this resilience and support of each other, and we will get through into the light. And, you know, things like the vaccine announcement that we heard yesterday, those are the things that, that give us hope um, that we just need to, 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 that this is not forever, that it is something that we will get through. But right now, we need to be really careful. We need to step back and take those measures to protect those people that are closest to us. Uh, I put the call out for people, and I know you've been inundated with questions. I put the call out on social media for people to put forward what questions they had or or what they wanted me to ask you. And I got a huge response of people talking about schools. And and I know that you've Mm -hmm. talked about schools, uh, but particularly people from Surrey have been emailing me. And in one case, in one elementary school where the alert went out to parents, uh, it named the, the teacher in the classroom. There's now a GoFundMe page from friends who are saying this teacher and her husband husband, both have COVID-19. The parents are really concerned, saying this was a music teacher who was working with at least 17 cohorts in a portable. Uh, They've been given these exposure notices saying that there are about 400 or 500 children who have been exposed and that there are at least five confirmed cases. Uh, That sounds like transmission in school, doesn't it? Well, I don't know the details of what you're, uh, of that specific case, um, but I think we need to be really careful because we know that public health follows up with every single individual, and we don't always know the story of where people became uh, infected and where they were exposed. So, um, and there's a very, there's a purpose to that. We know, unfortunately that some people treat people badly when they know they've been infected with this virus, and we've seen that repeatedly. So we take great care to preserve people's confidentiality. So what we have seen overall is that what happens in schools reflects what's going on in our community. And yes, there's been more exposures in schools in in, in the Fraser Valley area right now and in Surrey and in um, all of the Fraser Health and Vancouver Coastal area because there's more transmission in the community. So we need to step back what we're doing in the community to protect our schools because the other thing we know absolutely, is that children need to be in that classroom setting for their own education, but emotional and social growth as well. It's a very important thing, and and that is something we need to protect. It's an essential service, so we need to back off on some of the other things in our lives to preserve that. Uh, when we look at the numbers, uh, and Adrian Dix was speaking with Mike Smith earlier today, and uh, he put some, he, he, he made us do math on this, and he said uh, <laughs> there were 1,500 cases over the three-day period where there were 28,400 tests. 
tests. So if my math is correct, that's putting us at about a 5.2% infection rate. Uh, we're, we're seeing Manitoba take those drastic measures today. They're at about a 10% infection rate. How are we then? Is that rate alarming to you? And if it gets gets higher, are we going to see more more restrictions? So that is one of the markers that we follow very carefully every day, but there's other markers as well. So it's our rate per 100,000 population, how many infections we have per 100,000, but also really importantly, um, where people are getting, uh, where people are being exposed and can we trace people back? Is there a lot of widespread transmission in the community that we don't know where it's coming from? And so far, we've managed to keep that down. And uh, unfortunately, in, in some other communities, I know in Manitoba and particularly in Winnipeg and in some parts of Alberta, they've had very a lot of challenges keeping up with that. And that is why it's so important that we take these measures now. We can't lose that control because then it makes it much more challenging to stop this. And that means we do need to take more draconian measures um, to go back and stop all of our interactions as much as possible. So right now we're at a tipping point. We're at a place where we can take these actions and it will make a difference. And when you talk about the exposures and when we get those numbers every day of the people who have tested positive, do you know then how many people are we talking about that were exposed? We know they were exposed to somebody. They've been told either to isolate or to self-monitor. They then develop the virus. And compared to how many people might just be in the community and get the virus and then contact tracing has to start from scratch. Yeah, so for, for most of our cases, there's still people who are known contacts. So yes, uh, most people are, you know, this is what we're trying to do is break those chains of transmission. So that means um, we, we have asked people to self-isolate and then they become ill while they're in that incubation period. So that is good. Um, I don't have the exact percentage in each community, but there's still too much transmission going on that's related to events that we're playing catch up with. And, and that's exactly what um, you're describing, where we, um, where we can trace somebody back, but we weren't able to find them in time before they spread it on to somebody else. And so that's why we need to, to scale back our activities and our travel and our connections so that we can go back to having smaller numbers of people we're in contact with and be able to catch people before they spread it to others. I got a question about church and faith communities saying uh, we understand that, that those gatherings can still happen under 50 if they can follow the safety protocols. Uh, this person's wondering what about smaller group events such as Bible studies or smaller meetings in churches say that happen midweek? Are those still allowed? Yeah, so what we're talking about is social gatherings. So if we have, um, you know, church services, uh, temples, gurdwaras, they've been doing this for a while. And we've had a couple of meetings with faith, uh, five or six meetings with faith leaders, and they've put in some good protocols. Having said that, you know, now's the time to sit, to take a, to take a breather. Say maybe in the next couple of weeks we'll do these virtually. Um, any time that we can limit our social interactions is important, but there all are also important things that should continue. I've got questions about NA and AA meetings and uh, medical group 
appointments, those can still continue. Absolutely. Those aren't social interactions. They're necessary um, meetings, but they need to have a COVID safety plan. You need to keep your distances, make sure that we're not uh, um, putting people at risk in those situations. But now's the time as well to think about, um, you know, let's suspend some of these meetings or have them in a different way. Use our imagination and resourcefulness um, to do them differently for a couple of weeks. And you mentioned hope, and I think that is the thing for a lot of us that gets us through thinking, if we do this, we can do this, and there is that that hope at the end of the tunnel. Not asking you to read the future, but what do you see life being like, say, at the end of December and into the new year? You know what, I think we need to, to, we're finding ways that we can live with this virus. And um, many things are happening with, with our safety plans in place, and they work. You know, restaurants, we had some issues where people were not obeying the rules and we had transmission. And, you know, when we clamp down on it and people pay attention to the rules, we can live with this virus. And we're seeing that. You know, one of the unfortunate things, of course, is some of these uh, um, high-intensity exercise classes in gyms and uh, spin studios and things like that. And we've now learned that even though we had those safety plans in place, they weren't enough. But we can adjust. And we can get back to doing that. So I think right now is our time to say, okay, let's see what we're learning, step back, get our cases down, and then look at how we can reopen again safely. But we have a lot of really important events coming up from from Remembrance Day tomorrow, Diwali's coming up, you know, Christmas is coming up, American Thanksgiving. Um, We need to, to start planning for how we can do these events and celebrate them, but celebrate them safely. Support each other through this next period of time because it is not going to be normal for us. We have to do it differently this year. And then I am absolutely confident that next year, next Diwali, we'll be looking back and say, you know, we we made it through a really tough time and we're doing it together. All right, Dr. Henry, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. All right, thank you. Well, some of the questions, and not that they aren't important, of course they are, but I couldn't possibly get to all of the questions that people wrote to me and submitted in chatting with Dr. Bonnie Henry. But a couple of questions did raise the issue of mental health. So one person actually called the buzz line saying, I get it. I get why Dr. Henry is saying kids need to be in school. They do need to be in school. It's a very important part of growing up is that social aspect of being in school. It's not just learning the lessons. It's the whole part of being there and being with other kids and the socialization. Uh, but this caller made an interesting point saying, I'm a senior citizen. I'm home alone. I'm not having the social contacts contacts with other people. I'm suffering with this as well. And other questions as well about mental health and how we deal and manage our mental health as we deal with this COVID-19 pandemic. Well, Johnny Morris is the CEO of the Canadian Mental Health Association, the BC Division, and joins us on the line now. Thanks so much for being with us. Um, You're most welcome, Jill. Thanks so much for covering these important issues on your show this afternoon. It is something that that people, I think, can can try and brush aside. You might not know just how much you're being affected by not only the new restrictions, but the fact that we're now several months into this pandemic. What advice do you have for people when when making sure that you are paying attention to your mental health? Um, Well, I think the the first part of it is, is just as you said, Jill, is as, as many of your callers have recognized, is what we're experiencing right now, whether it be the pandemic itself and these very important public health measures that have been put into place, 
is that protecting our bodies from the virus is one part of it, but protecting our minds and taking good care of our mental health um, is the other is the other part of the equation here. And so I think the first part is is that recognition um, that um, uh, mental health is is a key a key issue right now. It's a key part of people's experience and substance use. Um, the, the advice I'd offer quickly is, is, is once that's been recognized, is um, to ensure that folks feel able to talk about that, how they're doing, what their experiences are. The, 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 um, the senior citizen who called in earlier, that's a great example of, of making comment about how this is impacting their mental health. And for us all to do what we can to not only encourage people to reach out to resources, um, but to reach in as best we can to people that we care about to offer um, that social social connection where we can, whether it be physically distanced or electronically. With the new restrictions, though, and, and even though we have to keep reminding ourselves, I think that they are just for two weeks. I mean, there is the possibility of them being extended. But right now we're focused on this two week period. But that is a it is a big ask for people. Well, maybe not a big ask. It is a big uh, for, for some. It feels like a setback. I think that we did all of the we took all of these measures. We did all of these things. And now here we are being told you, you can only socialize with people in your immediate family. Uh, however, that is defined in your particular situation, but it does seem, I think, like people kind of felt the wind go out of the sails. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think the wind um, goes out of the sails um, to a different degree for different parts of the population, which is which is really important to discuss, right? And so um, I think, you know, all of us collectively here in BC have been going through this process. I think many of us, when we think back to March and April, feels like a, a time where this was very unfamiliar. We, we didn't know what we were dealing with. Quite a lot of worry and concern. You know, we're getting used to things. Um, and then as we head into not only the fall um, and, and winter, um, having having this setback, um, and, and done with good reason, right? I mean, clearly the, the thinking and the science and the logic is behind trying to keep as many British Columbians safe from this virus. Um, and I think very, very naturally and very normally, as you say, um, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a mental health hit there. Um, one of the groups that we're particularly worried about are those that have been struggling with mental health already. Um, we did a big survey early on, Jill, and it showed that people living with a mental health problem were among those who who've been hardest hit. And I think, um, of course, there's a setback at the general population level for all of us are going, oh, you know, this is going to be tough for the next couple of weeks. But it does behoove us to think about, you know, folks who are more vulnerable, particularly folks who are living with a mental health um, problem or substance use problem right now, who've also been hit um, quite hard and likely have been by this latest development. Uh, Dr. Henry mentioned that uh, when we talk about social gatherings, uh, that she she talked about the importance of, say, people that maybe go to Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous, and that those aren't social gatherings. Those are much needed uh, uh, things that people have in their life. Whether and that that can be done distanced or can be done in a in a different way, whether it's Zoom or another way. But but do you find too that 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 do we think about that enough that how important it is that those types of routines and things that are very important that we continue doing them yeah i mean it, it links up to the the question you just asked previously jill um and and the importance of those services i mean i think early on in the pandemic you know for folks who rely upon um group-based therapeutic services or group-based peer support support from each other uh, those things are often taken for granted as being available. And of course, very early on in the pandemic, um, they stopped and, and that did have an impact. Um, we at the CMHA 
have really tried to double down with our partners like Foundry and elsewhere to, to making those services as virtual as possible. Um, but for many, that in-person support combined with being able to get out of your house, you know, connect in person, be part of a, a supportive space um, is a key part of recovery. Um, so many agencies like ours are, are really trying to innovate. And, and I know um, um, agencies across the lower mainland are, are doing what they can to meet the WorkSafe BC conditions, make sure that the, uh, the checks are in place, making sure that people are safe. Because for, for people who are, who are in need of that support and derive such value from that support, um, it can be a real lifeline to people, uh, Jill, absolutely. What can other people do to help people that they, that they are fearful about or they're concerned about their mental health? Yeah, I think it, 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 it's tough to do at times. Um, but one of the, one of the first things I, and I think, and I think journalists like you, um, you know, are, are key in this is, is supporting, is supporting the conversation. It's supporting, um, the people to feel safe and okay to either ask, ask the question, how are you doing? I, I'm worried about you. Um, I've, I've noticed that, um, you know, you've been, you've been withdrawing lately or, or whatever else you've seen. Um, and coming from that place of care and compassion, which can be tough when we're all running at 150% and, and dealing with our own worries and anxieties about what's happening in the world around us. But that's a real starting point. Um, I know for me, in my own lived experience, I've lived with depression myself. One of the kind of the, the ground-changing moments for me um, 15 years ago was that conversation um, with someone saying, Johnny, how are you doing? Um, so I think that's a starting point. And then, um, you know, for folks to be aware that we've got we've got resources that are available, um, whether that be bounce back for depression, low mood through CMHA or um, some of the other services, Foundry Virtual, for example, they, they really have seen a huge uptick in demand at Foundry with uh, young people accessing their virtual supports um, or the community counseling that's been really increased across the province through agencies. There are resources out there and they, they are available um, for people to reach out to if they need to. All right. Uh, good advice and timely advice, given uh, that we are in this two-week period now uh, with these uh, restrictions back in place. Uh, Johnny Morris, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much, Jill, and, and happy to come back to speak to you at, at any point. Thank you so much.